Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. And hey, this is the very first show that I, I'll be doing from the new crib. So um, very excited to have today's guest on, um, gentleman by the name of Carlos Phoenix, and he will explain to he'll he'll tell you his full name <laughs> here in a second when I bring him on. But um, so the, the but he goes by Carlos Phoenix. That's that's his real name. It's just not his real full name. So um, look, I, I am excited to have this guy share his story because I know a little bit of it and the little bit that I know is actually mind blowing. This guy has done some unbelievable things. So without any more from me, let's welcome our guest, Carlos, to the show. Carlos, welcome to the show. Hey, how are you, Ken? Dude, I'm, I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm Thanks really for having me on. Yeah, well, I'm hey, I'm I'm grateful that you're on cuz you've um you know, you and I are both kind of in not the same business, but similar as far as technology and stuff like that. So, mm -hmm. um I always love bringing people on that are in the same mindset, is that the word I'm looking for? So, yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> So so let's let's start with um, you telling everybody where you are from, where you were born and raised. All right. For some reason, your Skype just kind of rose up a little bit. Oh, so can you repeat the question again? Yeah, sorry. Um, so to start with telling everybody where you were born and raised. Oh yeah, so I was born in uh, Elmhurst, Queens, in New York City. Okay. And um, now, currently, I'm in Flushing, Queens, which is hop, skip, and a jump from there. Okay. Born and raised. Um, so that's where I'm from. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, thanks for being on. <laughs> no. No. So, so, okay, you grew up in Queens, New York. Yeah. Okay. That's one of the boroughs, right? That's right. Okay. I've been in New York to the actual city one time in my entire life, so... Um, I've flown in to the, you know, for layovers and whatnot to JFK right. and LaGuardia, but, um, but actually being in the city one time. So I don't really know it that well. So, so let's talk about, um, what it was like growing up there. What's, what's it like growing up in New York? Well, okay. So, uh, my parent, well, we're Latino. Uh, my parents had come from uh, Colombia, South America, and they were not, rich so so it starts off at a very poor story it was the neighborhood i grew up in was kind of like the hood in queens okay uh and so i was like the only light-skinned gentleman in the area that i was living in and uh, so you know uh the the traumatic story to make it really quick and short is we were constantly getting broken into constantly being robbed um when i was a kid i didn't really have a babysitter so they'd jump in through the windows when i was a kid and i'd have to hide in the closet uh, when I was young, and um, and wow. I'd basically like look through the cracks and see what they're taking, uh, that type of stuff. Um, when I was two, and so my my parents had a, a tough time because uh, I had a hole in my heart. Oh, oh, and Skype skipped again. Wow. Uh, uh, I had a hole in my heart when I was two, and so they, being poor, had to figure out a way of getting surgery for me. So I had open heart surgery at the age of two. Jeez. And, and they 
um, you know, not unknown, unbeknownst to me, they spent the first 20 years of my life paying it off. So, um, you know, so to them, it was like paying for college all over again type of thing. You know what I'm saying? That's like that kind of a burden. That's unbelievable. So you, so, so that was repaired, I guess the, Oh yeah. So, uh, fast forward, I'm perfectly fine, healthy and fat. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Wow. Okay. Well, I guess that's good. Right. (laughs) So, so, um, so what, I mean, so that's a, okay. So I, I'm from a town where there were 85 people in my graduating class in high school. Wow. So like, there's nothing where I'm like, it's tiny little nothing in the middle of nowhere. Um, growing up in a city like New York, um, beyond the people like w- looking through the closet door cracks to see what people are stealing from your home. I mean, what was it like, like going to school and stuff and, in, in like, so, yeah, we, you know, um, at first, you know, you get the bus to pick you up. Um, you had your average bullies, your lunch money was taken, you know, all, you know, all those stories. Yeah. Um, what I would, what I stayed and stuck onto was coloring books. You know, we, the gifts, the gifts I would get were like inexpensive gifts, crayons, coloring books and stuff like that. And that yeah. started kind of a, a sparking my passion for the arts, let's say, mm-hmm. uh, at least in terms of coloring and stuff. So I would actually color in Mickey Mouse and the Six Million Dollar Man and other, comic, you know, um, coloring books. And Steve I would start, Austin, right? Exactly. And I start doing them photorealistically, uh, understanding shading and lighting and stuff like that. And as I grew up, I decided um, I was kind of stuck between uh, really enjoying science and math or being an artist. And I kind of went the easy way out. At least I thought it was easy, and I chose to be an artist. And I started studying illustration and painting. So I learned classic painting, oil paint on wood. Wow! Uh, you know, there was no technology involved there. So most and this, of my youth this was, is as a kid. Yeah, growing up. So I went to the high school of art and design in wow. Manhattan. And uh, when I graduated there, I went for one year at FIT and then another three years at School of Visual Arts. Wow. And at night, I would leave School of Visual Arts and walk over to FIT and attend the night classes there. So I was going to art classes both daytime and nighttime. Wow. So um, I, I didn't know all that. So you, uh, Jennifer Williams says, uh, Steve Austin, we can rebuild, we can rebuild him. <laughs> We have the technology. I love that show. So, so, so something drew you to the arts. Then it it sounds like at a very early age. Yeah, it was a uh, part of it was um, the simplicity, at least my belief in its simplicity. Yeah. Uh, then, but then you start learning the ge- geometrics, the the golden section, the golden rules of art. Yeah. Um, then I went to Italy when I was 19 uh, with FIT and studied the masters. And that's where it sunk in that this is not something that's a simple escape from school. Yeah. It was the, you know, very passionate. So when I returned from FIT, I realized FIT was not what I was looking for. I wanted something really deep in art. And that's when I quit FIT, walked across the street, uh, well, across the city, went to the School of Visual Arts and actually bullied my way into the school. So 
what that means is I, I was registering to my classes at FIT and I walked out and I realized this is not what I want. I went back in, I quit, walked across the city. And, you know, when you apply to college, you normally apply months before. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm applying to college registration day. So I bullied my way in and that's a long story, so I'm not going to get into it, but I convinced the president of the school to accept me. Wow. And that was no easy task because he kicked me out of the school at least four times with security and everything. And, uh, <laughs> but, um, but managed to convince him. Uh-oh. And Skype is I, skipping I, again. I, I can still hear you. When that happens on, on your end, when you see that happen, it, does, it, it doesn't affect the broadcast for some reason. So Okay. So yeah. it's just maybe a feedback to me. Okay, yeah. got it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so eventually he said, fine, I'll, I'll let <clears> you in. But if you tell people... Oops, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm going to deny it ever happened. Anyway, so, <laughs> and so I attended school. Some of the most amazing teachers who are masters, who have stuff hanging in the museums, were teachers there. Um, right now, it's a very well-known school for visual effects and special effects in Hollywood. Uh, so, and that was my college years. Um, part of that, what I didn't mention is that at the age of 15, during high school, I was also working at the largest ad agency in the United States. What? And, and so that company was called Wells Rich Green. Uh-huh. And that was kind of brutal. <laughs> because <laughs> if you've ever watched Mad Men. Oh, yeah. Love Mad Men. The series. Yeah. Mad Men is basically uh, the world of advertising. Yeah. Back in the day. And um, when I was in high school, I was looking for a summer job. And I, uh, my, my mother was connected to that company. So they basically allowed me to apply. And rather than me being picking up garbage, which is what I was applying for, you know, sweeping <laughs> the floor, that type of stuff. Yeah. They realized I came from that high school and they tested me to see if I can do ads. And back in those days, ads were glue and right. not, you know, you cut out pictures and right. there was no, there was no illustrator. It was right. handcrafted art uh, to be reproduced in the New York Times, Cosmopolitan Magazine, you know, yep. a lot of publications. Our clients were like Ford Motor Company, Shore Deodorant, Pan Am, you know, a lot of like these massive, massive names. And they hired me to do the art. But the art director was not happy about that. He hated me, <laughs> at least initially, and <laughs> yeah. would give me like the crappy jobs. He sat, he sat me in the corner of the studio and just didn't want to assign me anything. Wow. But I ended up working there about three or four years. And well, you know, eventually I started working on ads and commercials and and I was still a kid, you know, I was going to high school still. Yeah. Wow, dude. So, so in the ad agency world, I've never worked for an ad agency. I, I'm a uh, somewhat of an ad agency now, but my wife, that was her first job out of college was with an ad agency. She's a marketing guru and, and like, she's got some stories man like some and, oh, yeah. and you know we're all about the same age so um so and i'm sure you do but so you so here you are in high school in in an arts high school and and you're working at an ad agency also designing ads right like Okay, uh, it skipped again, oh, so did, I didn't hear the question. Um, it, you're at, at that point, you're designing ads in, in this ad agency, right? 
Yeah, using rubber cement, uh, you know, Jeez. cutting out you know, airplanes and cutting out uh, people. And we did Benson Hedge of Cigarettes back in the day. Wow. Uh, Dunhill Cigarettes. Um, there's a lot of stories in that. That yeah. could be a whole show in itself. But uh, part <laughs> of it was, you know, the adults. I was, I was surrounded by adults. And it was brutal. We are dealing with millions of dollars in money. Um, and uh, one mistake uh you know, I made one mistake, I think, with a campaign that we were doing where we were one sixteenth of an inch, although we called it agates back in the day, um, and pikas. Everything was just measured in a different language. Yeah. But I learned but I learned that in high school, so I knew the language. Yeah. Uh, but I was one thirty sixth of an inch off, you know, because you glue stuff down. And they had reproduced a certain amount of tens of thousands, which cost them lots of money. Uh. And then the art director realized that it was slightly off and they're very particular. And yeah, it's almost like getting a brutal beating with someone's voice. Uh, and, <laughs> as a, and, and as a kid, you're just like, you know, it, it just rips you apart because sure. it's like your mom and dad are yelling at you type of thing. Yeah. But uh, after work, they would take me out drinking. Wow. Back in the day, yeah. uh, we'd go to, to clubs. Um, I would meet celebrities. We were doing Ralph Lauren. And one of the guys I used to work with in the agency was uh, one of his nephews. Wow. And he was like this handsome, model-looking kind of guy. So we'd go out to a clubs. I'd meet Debbie Harry. I'd meet like so many different celebrities at that time. Debbie, I, Debbie Harry. For blonde, those, uh, yeah, right. for those that don't know, <laughs> yeah, call so, me. <laughs> she's a pop star at the time. Yeah, yeah, rock. Blondie. Um, and uh, and then so I started into the nightclub scene at a very early age. Um, you know, drinking was there, but yeah. when I wanted to get into art, um, I took it very seriously and very passionate about that, especially after coming back from Italy. And, uh, I realized that the drinking was kind of affecting all that. So I said, well, I'm more passionate about the art than, than partying and drinking. So I, I quit the drinking and never went back. Just, um, just like that. Yeah. Yeah. Fortunately, I wasn't an alcoholic at the time, but I realized that, you know, if it kept up, it would have been a little bit weird. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, maybe I would have made more dramatic art, but I ended up doing science fiction fantasy art anyway. And in my early days at the age of 19, I'd gone to a Comic-Con with only three paintings that I had completed from college. And, um, and all three paintings were picked up to be published. So that started my art career. Wow. And, uh and I was very fortunate because that doesn't happen. Normally for a portfolio, you need at least 12 paintings. Yeah. Uh, so now I'm being published with uh, Crusade, um, Acclaim, uh, which right now they're doing Magic the Gathering for Netflix. I was doing Magic the Gathering uh, paintings back in the day. And, um, you know, some Marvel stuff, uh, you know, and, and other companies uh, that were trying to get into that world. Um, but Marvel was dying at the time and it was going bankrupt and was wow. closing down. And so I lived in the time when all this drama with the combo companies were like, they're going to die and disappear. Yeah. But we know that turned out, Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. because of today. And so, uh, so and all that was happening in New York city and everybody that was involved were all the people I went to college with. So, so it was interesting because all the people I went to college were the artists and stuff that of the comic books that you see that maybe you've seen now, if you've, if you've collected back in the day. Wow. And uh, that created a very awesome, passionate time of art and uh, with some of the greatest artists that are alive today. So so you like, I mean, you created 
comics. Like, I, I you're the first comic oh, well, book I artist. Did, uh, oil paintings for covers mostly. Oh, okay. But, uh, for comic books. Books, yeah. Wow. Um, so back in the day, um, there were something called graphic novels, although they still make graphic novels. But I was hired by, let's say, Marvel to do a graphic novel, and uh, but it never came out because uh, everybody, everybody got fired at Marvel. So. <laughs> Wow, you know, <laughs> there's that. Yeah. So, so, so here you were, and and so you were working at Marvel, is that right, or no? Well, no, I actually worked at home. Oh, for these, for these comic, yeah. I mean, you don't go to Marvel and start painting there. <laughs> oh, okay. That's so not I, how I it works. Yeah, it, it, it's all freelance. Um, okay. You know, hire you. The, you know, back in the day, it was fax machines and phone yeah. calls. Uh, but, you know, getting into the door, I used to do like I would take my paintings and replicate them and put them on magnets because the art director still used file cabinets to look through artists. Yeah. But if, if my magnet was on the outside of that file cabinet, it'd be an easy way for them to be like, oh, well, there's this guy before he even opens the door. Marketing. T totally. Love it. Um, mm hmm. Um, I also worked for a variety <clears throat> of different magazines. Um because I was still, you know, doing somewhat of the advertising thing, based on mechanical art, um, wow. and um, I was always drawing and sketching with my friends or alone. And one time, I'm in the subway, and I'm sketching a woman who's fallen asleep across the train. And there's a gentleman looking over my shoulder, saying, "Can you do that for movies?" Uh. And of course, working in advertising, I was like, "Well, yeah. I mean, I could do storyboards and all that type of stuff." Yeah. So in Subway, he hired me to work on my first film. Uh, so he had me come to the studio the next day. Um, it's called Silver Cup Studios, for those who might be familiar with Silver Cup. And um, Gregory Hines was the director of that film. I, I, I know that name. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, amazing man, great gentleman. And so uh, with Gregory Hines, uh, I worked on doing the storyboards for the film. Uh, it did come out on video. I don't remember if it ever came out in theaters. Um, but you know, when I was done, usually you just draw and then you leave. Yeah. And the, they were like, "Wait, but you know, you got a lot of skills here. Would you like to stay? And you know, we can get you to work on the sets or something." And I'm like, "Okay." You know, I'm, in my mind, I'm like thinking about money. Yeah, right. Um, you know, I know, I know, like, because I get a lot of people like, "Oh, wow, you know, your art is good or whatever," um, and and they get fascinated with that. Yeah. But for me, it's okay, you know, I spent seven hours painting something just like you would be like, well, I had to work on this PowerPoint for right, seven hours. Right. It's a little bit of the same thing. It's not right. like I'm like, oh, yay, I'm drawing and painting. Yay. Yeah, right. You know, it's, it's it's a lot of focus and concentration and thinking and, and compositioning and color and, and all that type of stuff. Yeah. Um, so even though I might be artistic in my in, in our view or some of our, our, our artists, artistic friends view. It's still work. It's still labor. Right. So I said, you know what? It's a paycheck. Let me stick around. And right. um, I remember this guy, his name, uh, we called him Fish, was my art director. And uh, he taught me everything as far as building sets and stuff like that. Wow. And I started working in film and commercials and TV shows. And I did that for about 20 years, thanks to him. So, okay. So how's that? But how you were doing commercials and film and stuff like you were hand drawing for these things. You were like doing 
Mm-hmm. So really? yeah, I mean pencil and yeah. you know start the sketches. Then I'd fax it in. They would approve the sketches. I would start the actual painting. Um, I would hire models to come in and they'd pose nude, and I would then uh, put the costumes on them through my imagination. And all that was done in a bedroom wow. in this very in this very apartment that I'm in now. And um, so I just you know I did everything in my in-house studio. Uh, wow. The photography, the the. The printing, it was all film. We didn't do digital pictures back then. Wow. And then, uh, and then I would use a wood as my instead of a canvas. I was yeah. very into using wood uh, just for durability and stuff like that. And, uh, and then I would photograph the art. I would never hand in the original art. So I still own all the original pieces. Oh, my gosh. And uh, using copyright laws, um, you do what's called a first print. Um, yeah. which basically gives them permission to print it once, yeah. and then you own the piece from that point on. But um, clients like Disney or clients like Warner Brothers and clients, you know, the big clients, they won't accept that. They'll they'll buy out the piece, but then remove you from existence. Yeah, <laughs> so, right. So Disney and, and Warner Brothers, those, those kind of companies will not say that you did anything for them. Got and it. Yeah, wow. That's incredible, man. So you did that, you said, and, and you quickly said, and I did that for 20 years um, f- for that company. stories. Yeah, right. Let's just skip to the end. No, oh, so, so it doesn't work that way. So uh, everything's freelance. Okay. So every job is job by job. I but what's cool was um, in New York City, the crews become like family. Yeah. And so, um, so if, they're, if somebody else has another job, they're like, hey, Carlos, do you, you want to join us on this other gig? Or, you know, so I was constantly yeah. being recommended. And, um, you know, so I just constantly had back-to-back jobs, whether it was a commercial, a music video, um, a movie, um, so you, like that. And this has been for all the big ones, right? I'm sure, like Warner Brothers, all of them. No, actually, I have to say 90% of everything I did was independent, with the exception of the commercials and TV shows. Okay. Uh, mostly because you'd have to get into the union if you want to work for the big ones. Wow. Yeah, and even though I was leaning towards that, um, the work was so consistent that it was like there was no point to do it. Right, um, right. So it was mostly independent films, but uh, but you know we would then the summers play softball with Robert De Niro, or um, you know in wow. the summers uh, New York had this culture of the film companies, uh, big or small, to let's say meet at Central Park and play softball in between days that you're not shooting, stuff like that. That's incredible, man. So, Robert De Niro, how how is he at uh, softball? <laughs> okay, you just got back. Oh, I said, how's Robert De Niro at softball? Wow, this is, I mean, I was a kid. That's yeah. so long ago. Yeah. <laughs> I can barely remember the games. Yeah. So, so, along the way, I mean, so far, your life sounds incredibly easy up to that point. Like, everything came natural and easy and no challenges. Well, in terms of work, sure. Um, you know, it's still freelance. So there are times when you're just like, oh, everything's quiet for a few months. Yeah. You know, if you're paying rent, then that's an issue. Uh, yeah. Relationships yeah. were non-existent. You know, yeah. dating was very difficult because when you're working on an independent film, you're working six days a week, 16, 17 hours a day. Um, you know, but, you know, but you, for you, it's a paycheck, right? Yeah, so right, that was right. nice. Uh, you know, you've had some heartbreaks and, you know, traumas there. Yeah. Uh, major heartbreak took me four years to get over. Um, so I just focused on just working. Wow. 
you know, there's, there's all that type of stuff. You yeah. know, life still occurs in the process of having it work. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and in the pro when I was 23, 24, I had started a project to try and do the first 3d animated film. And, um, I had come up with an idea due to some music that some friends had made. And within three days I had gotten distribution through Sony for wow. the film. And they heard about it in Hollywood, even though I'm in New York somehow. Uh, and I ended up taking three years to try and figure out how to finance this project because I got distribution. So it was a little bit easier, but then I also had to get everybody. I had to become a producer and get the music producers and the animators and stuff. And those days, uh, the computers were hundreds of thousands of dollars to be able to do anything animation wise. Right. Right. So I was, I was meeting with all the computer companies. I was meeting with all the different animators, you know, how effective or how realistic can the art be? Um, and as a kid, you know, you don't have those skills of just, and I call myself a kid at 23, 24, but, um, you know, there's a lot of knowledge that just was not taught. Right. When just, an, just an artist, like how to do a business plan. Right. You know, how to, how to run a business, stuff like that. Uh, a lot of stuff was missing. So I had uh, a, another gentleman who was uh, working with people uh, with investments in the UN. Um, and we would then deal with Russian diplomats to Jeez. look at financing. And so I would have dinner with the, the, the you know, the Russian diplomat uh, in Connecticut was we, where he was living. And we'd have dinner there and he'd be sh sucking on vodka and talking about this project and potential monies and all sorts of stuff. It was very, that was fascinating because it's a different world, it had nothing to do with anything I was doing, but they were interested. And so you just follow the money as, as best you can. And that's, that's a, uh, I mean, for an artist, especially that like you're, you're, I mean that's different. That's way different. Those the there the, those are some and but you know you were cuz I I know some artists that um have never met one single celebrity ever, right? So you're you're <laughs> there in fact is probably most artists quite frankly. But like so you're you're here you are working on these projects with people like Robert De Niro and a lot of, well, these... we, we play softball, Robert De Niro. I never actually worked with him. Oh, I got you. I got you. Okay. So, but you've worked around some other, some big celebrities, yes, right? That's yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, he's, he's pretty big, but there's definitely bigger ones, but you know, so, and along the way you're, you're, you're freelancing the whole time, but you're making good money, decent money. Did I did I cut out again? You, you did, but I heard decent money. Yeah, you were making you were making pretty good decent money, I guess. Yeah, uh, yeah. So so certain projects paid, you know, crappy. Yeah, uh, yeah. Especially in New York City. Uh, other projects, like you know, if you're doing a, a an art project for Disney or you're working on an art project for Warner Brothers, that pays astronomical money. Yeah. You're, you're working on a three month project that could pay well over a hundred grand. Right. Right. So. Um, so that, you know, so the, for me, the money was always a major fluctuation. You yeah. can live off the money for a few years if you do it correctly. But again, um, in living that type of life, uh, the club scene was a big problem for me because I was constantly spending. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, like I would go for $200 lunches yeah. and stuff like that. And there was another thing that wasn't taught very well was investment. Right. So, um, investment, um, how to save, you know, 
doing real estate, that type of stuff. Yeah. For me, it was money in my pocket. If it's in there, let me just see what I can get with it. And so that was a, a problem. Yeah, they, they, they don't teach that in, in school. <laughs> Not very well, at least. So, so okay, so, um, and this is all in New York City, those 20 years. That's right. Wow. And um, because you, before the show started, you told me about a different city. So none of that was in that different city. No. So now Wait. we go to phase two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I want to talk about that because here, uh, I mean, dude, so far you just sound like a boring artist. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, no, but, I believe you. You're right. But, like, like you got, okay. So you're out at the club scene. I'm sure you met some women and all that along the way. You did some fun stuff, but, but like, Uh-oh. um, oops. Okay. Did, did we cut okay. out again? Man, I, I had I had Time Warner here working on my internet yesterday for like four or five hours. So gotcha. we're we're trying to work out some kinks. I don't know if it's my end or yours, but either way, whatever, we'll get through it. Um, no so, so, I mean, again, you're at this place where everything's just kind of moving along swimmingly. You did that for twenty years. That's not Scotch, by the way. I asked him before the show. <laughs> <laughs> it's iced tea. So, so everything's moving along swimmingly in your life, and and so what's let's let's talk about phase two. What was right, and so, what was the what was the the entry point into phase two? So yeah, so here I am working on films. Uh, the last film I worked on was an Argentinian film called An Argentinian in New York, and um, in that film, uh, it was like a three a three month project. Um, Towards the end of the film, I ended up getting into a car accident. And Whoa. the car accident um, basically um, hurt me pretty bad in terms of my back, my spine. Um, and if you can imagine working on movie sets, a lot of it is lifting up sofas, lifting up wood and, and walls and moving <clears> furniture <throat> around and stuff like that. So, um, so I had to quit that film towards the end. It was probably another two weeks left. And so I picked up a project with um, Vibe Records. No, Jive Records, I'm sorry, Vibe. Uh, Jive Records to do an album cover for KRS-One, who was a, a hip-hop artist back in, in the yeah. 90s, 80s, 90s. K- so, KRS-One, also known as BDP, Boogie Down Productions. <laughs> and the uh, the Church of Hip Hop. Yeah. Uh, so with, with him, um, I had met him a year before. Uh, great person. Um, I knew his producer at the time. And uh, a year after, he loved my artwork so much that he basically twisted the arm of Jive Records to hire me as a cover artist for his um, for one of his albums. And so I started working on that. But the back pain was so bad that most of the time I was painting, I was on the floor. Uh, just uh, the pain was ridiculous. So long story short, that accident knocked out two careers. Wow. And I left, I left everything. As soon as I was done with that painting, that was it. I, I, I realized that. Um, my life that I've been enjoying had changed and that, you know, maybe it was a sign. And I said to myself, okay, well then let's follow this sign all the way through. Um, I left the industry. Um, I was still in creative mind. So I chose to start getting into production and post-production. So I was doing camera work for Good Morning America. I've been doing video editing for Broadway video, which includes Saturday Night Live, um, a lot of Showtime sports stuff. Um, 
a lot of MTV stuff. And then, um, and then I was able to have relationships. So I dated a lot. Wow. Which then, um, for me, I was like, well, you know what? Maybe this means that I'm supposed to be a normal person and have a girlfriend or a wife or, or a family. And so I went that path. I met someone and, uh, that eventually led me to Atlanta because her mom lived in Atlanta at the time. And so I shifted and, and moved there and then lived a normal life. And I call it normal because it's extremely different from the artistic life. And, you know, worked retail, worked offices, worked, you know, mopping floors, you know, doing stuff that, you know, because what do you say to a normal office or a company or a corporation? Well, I can draw and paint for you. Yeah, right. Right. I can move the furniture for you. <laughs> uh, you know, that they don't care. That's not the life that they care about. Wow. So, um, so it was not easy getting, a, you know, regular, good, well-paying jobs. It, I, you know, I had to, let's say, for example, basically struggle my way up again. Yeah. Um, and how, so how my, old were you at that point? I was, uh, let's see, 28, 29 starting. Um, and then by the time I got married, I was maybe 31. Okay. Okay. And uh, now she's never experienced any of my artistic endeavors at all. You know, they're all stories. You know, when you start telling stories like what I told you, yeah. Um, I used to go out to dinner with this actor or this actress. We should celebrate somebody's birthday who was an actor or actress or producer or whatever. Those have become just stories of make believe. Yeah. And, wow. Um, and so uh, I still had that creativity. I started building my own studio. Now, in that process, in between those years, I had started a company called Realms of Design. And we started doing websites and, uh, you know, the, the internet was just starting to grow. Yeah. We started building, you know, half million dollar websites for corporations like Pitney Bowes. Yeah. We, we did a uh, music match, uh, which was, you know, pre iTunes. Yeah. Uh, we used to do video stuff with real player and, uh, live streaming, uh, with FUBU, um, and other projects that came around as the internet was starting to change things. And that's where part of what we're gonna get into kind of came into play, where I built my own TV studio at home and started doing my own streams with interviews with independent celebrities or independent musicians and filmmakers. Yeah. People who would ever know about, but needed the most attention. So wow. kind of like how we're doing this interview, yeah. it's, a, it's a great way to introduce people to talents. Yeah. And so I started doing that probably about 11 years ago. And now I interview Hollywood celebrities, uh, Hollywood, you know, musicians and, and filmmakers and producers and uh, on Facebook and allow people access. Yeah. Wow. And that's so cool. that inspired a business to start selling live streaming equipment. It also started a business where I have two distribution platforms for filmmakers to put their movies in and uh, where I can put my interviews in and they can start becoming their own Hollywood without relying on Hollywood for distribution, without relying on the music industry for distribution. Um, we got a deal with Sony, so I can do music distribution with um, the Orchid. Jeez. So independent artists can release music, and, um, and then I can interview them, plus if they can start their own TV show on my platform so that people can recognize them as the struggle of being a music artist and releasing albums and going on concerts and the tour. So you get to really see the behind the scenes. Now, is that, is that like, um, what's it called? OTT that like where it's on Apple TV and Roku and right. all that. 
Yeah, so basically anything like you would normally install Netflix on, yeah, we we can be on. That's awesome. Uh, smart Xbox, TVs, Roku, um, smart TVs, all that type of stuff is included. Wow, that's really cool, man. So so, and you started all this in Atlanta. So um, to elaborate, I started working on putting this stuff together. I have another uh, platform that's called Sia. Um, where a friend of mine, I had, he's a, he's a, a millionaire and I had asked him to become my mentor. And as my mentor, he said, well, what do you want to start? Like, what do you want to do? Like, how can I help your passion? And so of course, live streaming at the time was part of the passion and movies and all that type of stuff was part of the passion. Yeah. So he had already started working on a platform called Sia. And so I'm participating in the growth for Sia. And so we have celebrities on Sia. Uh, we do movies with Paramount Pictures every Sunday. Um, so we already had Danny Trejo. We have Kevin Smith coming back in. We have a bunch of actors and stuff that will be uh, hosts of this. So the way it works is you're watching a live broadcast of a show or a feature film. Yeah. And we will have uh, four boxes to be able to do what we're doing here. So one of them will be a celebrity. And we can bring anybody in the audience on camera to talk to that celebrity about the film or questions about the celebrity and things of that nature. So the idea is to change the way entertainment and the public can interact by giving them full access, no holds bar. That's awesome, man. Mm -hmm. That's a great idea. Because people, people are, are obsessed with that whole celebrity thing. Obsessed. Oh. Right. And through the interviews that I've had, um, again, very similar to this interview here, is we're trying to humanize the actors. We're yeah. not trying to make them like these icons that people see. Right. That you, like that you see on Entertainment Tonight and all this type of stuff that you have to have all the gossip. Yeah. Well, if they're the ones sitting with me for an hour and they're telling you, well, this is how life really is. Right. It, it humanizes them. And then if they get to then talk to the celebrity in person and, and they realize, wow, he's not. He's a just normal, cool guy or right. a person. Then it, it changes the dynamic of the relationship. It creates a tighter fan. Right. But because of that, I want to give full access to the independence to do the same thing. Yeah. To be able to have that relationship and have that fan uh, be tighter and be able to do it in a quicker way than to have to wait for you to be interviewed on some major television network. Right. Right. And um, so. In essence, the idea is to sneak in and become another major television network without even using satellite or any of that stuff. Just love get direct that. access to them. I love that, man. I love it. And I, I think that, um, I mean, I don't think, I know. I mean, I, <clears throat> I, you know, like I said, had Time Warner here working on internet and um, went to this, this the apps on my smart TV I was like, wow, I can't believe how many apps are available on Samsung's. I mean, it's right. crazy. So, like, you know, that is the direction that this world is going toward is, is, is what's OTT stand for? Over the top. Over so the basically, top. Basically, yeah. So, basically, it's those little boxes or things that you can connect. Uh, we're going over. Uh, you know, we're, we're basically circumventing satellite and cable companies and all that in between stuff, which raises the cost of everything. Yeah, um, sure does. And then uh, just going through the Internet and distributing directly. So that's the opportunity. The opportunity is to just like what we're doing is an opportunity to reach the public. Well, here we're doing it for free. Right. But, you know, with OTT, you know, there's costs involved. 
Yeah. But uh, then give um, one of the, the, the dynamics that's occurring is that cable is indeed dying. Um, video advertising is switching. If you look at the top content providers that people watch, uh, Netflix, Hulu, uh, Amazon, soon Apple, yeah. none of them are commercially you know, supported. In other words, right. there's no ads. So uh, advertisers are freaking out. Like, where are we going to put our ads? How are we? That's where marketing, all the marketing stuff they see on your timeline, uh, is a big deal because this there's a new way to access the public, and yeah. it's not through commercials anymore. It's not through radio anymore. It's not through, you know, print as much. Right. Um, and opportunities for channels like me is to say, hey, look, I got a whole new world here with all new actors and movies and yeah. music and stuff like that. And we're not going to be as easily supported as Netflix and Hulu yeah. because people paying subscriptions for that. So you can put ads in our platform and hopefully allow growth of the platforms in that way. I mean, I've, I've seen, you know, I, I, I look at, you know, I, I follow some celebrities, not not a whole lot, but I follow some on on Facebook, and I see some of them doing Facebook lives just to keep attention on themselves. Right? Grant Cardone is a friend of mine, and Grant Grant's constantly. I mean, he beats the crap out of it. Right? So, like, you well, he see, built a studio and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 again, I I, I mean, it's really. I personally believe that there has never, ever, ever been a better time in the history of mankind to become known if you want to become known. Yes. But it has to be done in a way. Yes. Right now, right now we're living in the gray. Yes. Right? So yes. We're, we're in the middle of a transition. So the way I like to speak about this transition is that we are the reverse of history in terms of broadcasting. Yeah. So looking back in the day, in the let's say 40s, 50s, yep. when TV was black and white, um, you know, most TV shows were live. Right. You know, I Lucy was shot real time yep. and broadcasted real time. Um, over time, they developed the technology for videotape, uh, improved on it, uh, creating episodics where you can record the show and then show it after the fact. Right. And, um, and that created new TV series and different stuff like that. But back in the day, it was all soap operas and, and all that type of thing. Yeah. And uh, and then, of course, it went into color and then, you know, all sorts of broadcasting. But when the Internet started, it was the reverse. The speed wasn't high enough for us to do live. Right. So you couldn't have your live soap operas and the live shows and stuff like that. So we had to start off in reverse. You started off with the recording first. Yeah. And then we went into live. So it's a, a mirror version of what occurred in regular broadcast yeah but well, uh, what it does is it creates a great history though to follow in terms of where the future of that may go and that's where we're falling in place we're using that gray area of this transition of tv dying and re being reborn in a different format we're taking that gray area and then solidifying it with a brand new thought process and format i i think that you know uh, in that I've seen a lot. What are those uh, infographics? I've seen some really cool. In fact, we one uh, I my designers. We sat down one day and we we lit. I have one. We created one. This is three or four years ago. So it's changed 
significantly in three or four years. Four years ago, Facebook wasn't doing Facebook Lives. There was no such thing. Four years ago, it was Periscope and and some of these other things that, you know, Twitter bought Periscope. I mean, there's just so much. And I love it. I created the very first um, uh, video, walkthrough video of a real estate property in Columbus, Ohio. I was It was the very first one in... I forget what year it was, but this this realtor had to sell a house, right? And and it was sitting on the market for eight months, and but she was getting all kinds of traffic from her website. And I'm like, why don't we just throw a little video? And she's like, how do you do that? And I had to create a flash video. <laughs> I made it a flash video. I mean, you know, but you mentioned real player a little bit ago. I remember all that. I mean, mm-hmm. dude, it's it's crazy how far. And if people understood the the actual you know, we're sitting here talking about real player and flash. And if people really understood the technology changes since those days, even mm-hmm. like it's mind blowing. It's just mind blowing. So even now, uh, for example, one of the technologies that I'm offering uh, that we're, we're just releasing is um, a technology that will reduce the latency. So, for example, here we're talking yeah. comments show up. We don't see everything until 30 seconds later mm-hmm. as far as a response. Yep. The technology will reduce latency and reduce costs. So what we're trying to do is participate in the game of this technology um, by offering it to Netflix and offering it to Facebook and offering to and which we're doing. We're, we're in the process of doing all that now. Wow. Um, and that's in the, basically uh, my my elevator speech is to basically recreate a different entertainment industry without the entertainment industry. So um, by use of technology, we're capable of doing that from the ground level up. I mean, wow. I'm, right now, there's no money right now where I'm trying to look for investors to go to the next phase of what we've done. We've already released the platforms. So now uh, the money is to develop programming and shows and, and TV shows and uh, get filmmakers and and be as supportive as possible to the next generation of, of artists. And part of the reason we believe in it so much is because that's basically what Netflix has done. Right. That's basically what Amazon has done. They're all independent. The majority of the content that's being created are people who were not Hollywood majors, and yet they're creating content that's just as interesting. So that proves that there's more talent than what Hollywood will permit to go out there. And my angle is the Latin market. Um, not so much in releasing content about Latinos, but to create <laughs> product that's made by Latinos, whether it's in English or in Spanish. Right. And, you know, of course, in this market right now, we have, you know, a leadership that's kind of very divisive in that in that regard. Mm-hmm. So the most recent celebrity interviews that I've done were with Latinos in Hollywood who are, you know, um, Isai Morales, who at the time was going after SAG-AFTRA as trying to go after, uh, be president of SAG-AFTRA. Wow. And, um, and we talked about that and why he wants to do it. And the fact that Latinos are, are so pushed down, you know, they have to either be, be criminals or victims or drug dealers, you know, the never a leadership type of right role. Um, and that's a lot. That's a, that's the same in many, many markets, uh, you know, the black market, which now we're having great filmmakers create like horror movies and stuff, things that you would never think. Yeah. But they have a social thought process behind it. And it's not about making a black film. It's about making a film that everybody loves. But understand you know, why it was done in the way it was done because it's been so hindered before. Right, right. Well, now, because of this freedom of the internet, or uh, although net neutrality threatens a lot of that, but that's a whole other conversation, 
um, you know, being able to show off true talents without the biases that occur in entertainment and, and otherwise. Right, right. Dude, I love it. I think that um, I think there's a lot of really, really cool things that you're you're working on that that actually and you put the I had it up here. Let me put it back up. The CYA dot live um, mm -hmm. is your website. And and so what are some things well, that's, that's one of the websites, but yeah, yeah, well, put a put up anything that you want to put up there and, and you can go back in and and comment afterwards as well. But so, so you've, you've, um, so you know, you were in Atlanta for many years. Um, it sounds like. Yeah. So, uh, about 18 years. Okay. Uh, unfortunately it ended up in divorce. Okay. Um, but that's a whole other side of the story. Yeah. 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 Well, we've been, uh, we've, we've, we've all, we've all been, you know, not everybody, but you know, a lot of people been through it, man. So um, you're you're not in Atlanta right now. I'm back in New York. Back in New York for a minute. In the, in the old apartment where I did yeah. all the artwork and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and um, and and you're putting together these these platforms and 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 doing a lot. Are you doing some consulting work too? It sounded like. Yeah. So part of the consulting <laughs> is the live streaming portion. So. Okay. Um, the strategy is to allow independent creators yeah. access to the technology. So I sell basically all live streaming technology there is. Almost every company that's out there, with the exception of what you're using, for example, like Ecamm. Yeah. But you know, I can talk to them about that. <laughs> and then, <laughs> um, you know, we'll be releasing everything from doing production with iPads to doing productions with high-end equipment. Right now in the Caribbean, we're trying to help a company be like an ESPN over there. Wow. So that's about a, uh, about a $700,000 setup that we're working on. Wow. Uh, which, which is greatly less than the tens of millions that ESPN would have spent to do the same thing. Sure. Technology has changed the cost of everything. So, uh, you know, I sell red cameras and uh, I sell new tech TriCasters and all that type of stuff. So that um, if a radio station calls, I had a radio station call yesterday. I can say, well, this is what the options are and, and offer that to them. Right. Then the consulting part is, well, look, I've worked in film and television. Let me teach you how to get all this done. Um, I've built studios. I've built sets. So let me help you build your studio. So basically everything that you need to start creating your own TV show and then say, look, this TV show is fantastic. I love it. You're the experts of that field. Let's yeah. get you broadcasted. Yeah. Because everybody dreams about getting picked up by a label. Everybody dreams about being picked up by a network. Except that's almost gone, right? You know, let's let's not take the rights of you, the creator, away because that's what happens once you get signed. They say, "Oh well, you know, okay, now we like your idea, but let's change it to this," and there's disappointment, even though you're making the money, right? Um, if yeah. you really believe in your creativity, let, let we just want to give you the capability of doing what you wanted, yep, owning it and still making money off of it. And monetization is the core of every platform that we release, so. Um, it's it's basically better than going to YouTube and being lost in everything. Yeah, we want you to be looking professional right off the bat, and giving you the full access of everything: uh, interviews, radio play, you know, streaming play, uh, your own TV show, right, and and the ability to do it with all the technology and, and being taught how to use it. And you don't own you don't own the rights to their content. 
and and that's that's why i don't want to own it (laughs) right and that's why you see a lot of these you know the big stars the big celebrities will smith a lot of these people will start their they'll start their own production companies they'll start their own labels they'll um um who was it i was uh i have a friend over in philadelphia that used to be on um one of the big big rappers labels and you know and and i i heard about the stuff where it's like well you know now there's this um you know he doesn't own the rights to his own music it's on you know so it's like right so like you know so so what we do is we do publishing rights right masters and all stuff is owned by the artists themselves wow Um, what we do is with the orchid uh the orchid focuses on trying to get your music onto movies and feature films uh, we do that also with our platform. If we have an independent filmmaker that yeah. loves your music, they can use it, and we handle all the licensing for that for them. Yeah. Um, we also have sync uh, rights or, or sync distribution, meaning that if anybody uses your music incorrectly or illegally on, let's say, YouTube, it'll be detected. But rather than like punish the podcaster or whoever's doing that, what we're going to do is we're going to put an ad in front of it and still allow the artist to make money off of that show, even though there was no permissions granted. Nice. So, so I, I need to connect you with a couple. I, we talked about this before and I forgot. Um, but we, we need to uh, get you connected. Hank Norman and Steve Carlos at two market media, are a couple of people you need to meet and they need to meet you. I, I, I don't know that anything could work out or not, but it sounds like you guys could, uh, could probably do some stuff together. Well, well here's, here's where it gets even better, and then I'll cut that really short. Um, we just did on uh, – uh, so Experience On Demand is the OTT platform. Yeah. XOT, if you're on iPhone and Android and Apple TV and stuff. And uh, we just did our first major boxing match. Now, um, so I'm one of the owners. Uh, the remainder of the owners are uh, black gentlemen, uh, former executives of Sony. And, um, and so together – I'm focusing on the Latin side. They're for focusing on the, um, um, uh, let's say they, they focus on urban side and things of that nature. They want to be able to be a truly um, independently owned broadcasting network where there's multiple channels that are independently owned. Um, and it's not, let's say, completely manipulated by, let's say, white thinking, so to speak. Uh, and so what we're doing is they just did a uh, Floyd Mayweather. Uh, I'm sure people know who that is. And, <laughs> no, and, never heard and, of him. <laughs> and so Don King's son, they have their boxers uh, do a championship matchup live on our platform. Wow. And so we're doing a lot of live on both the Experience On Demand platform and on the CEO. Is that going to be like a pay-per-view or is it a... Exactly. So it was a, at the time, it was like two weeks ago, it was eleven ninety nine to the public. $11? $11.99 for a boxing match. It was in Tennessee. And wow. a major, you know, venue, the, yeah. uh, the FedEx Stadium, or I don't know what they call it. Yeah. Um, and and it was a great fight, uh, or a series of fights. There's a bunch of fights. Uh, also, female boxers too. And uh, so that's another avenue that we're going after is sports. But we're not trying to get NFL. We're not trying to get in, you know all that type of stuff. We're trying to go for the sports that people uh, don't get access to, where uh, because technology costs less now, right? We, you know, they can afford to broadcast more. And um, and then with my technologies, we have multiple ways of you accessing that. So on SIA, I would like to bring more sports <clears throat> where you can interact with live with the athletes, right? with the announcers, um, and, and make that a very transparent 
type of technology and broadcast. Um, you know, soccer well, games, cricket games, but what, know, what, what, whatever it is that they want to broadcast. What about us poor white people that want to be on there? Oh, you skipped that again. Oh, probably. And that uh, can you hear me now? Okay, so you said, "What about our poor?" And then it's frozen. I said, "What about us poor white people that want to be on there?" <laughs> so, so here's the beauty of that. Um, I have no problem putting, let's say, a poor white person's show on, <laughs> uh, um, because it's not about any kind of discrimination whatsoever. But what it is is uh, about collaboration. And if right. you can have uh, the urban market in your show and it's not being, you know, discriminatory. Yeah, right. Um, then, then that's, that'd be great. Yeah. You know, we have second and third generation Latinos, and most of them don't even know Spanish. Yeah. But because of their last name, they're not getting picked up. They might be great writers. Uh, they might be great producers. But they're not getting the opportunity simply because of either their name or, you know, otherwise. Now, yeah. is that happening everywhere? No. But no. based on conversations with actual big names in Hollywood, it's happening to them and they're known. So wow. if it's happening to them and they're known, you can only imagine if you're just a nobody yet still, uh, what's going on with them there. Well, yeah. And I, I, you know, obviously there's, there's also the exceptions to that. Will Smith, sure. Spike Lee, people like that, that have, have obviously made it regardless. So, mm -hmm. um, but so, so, you got a lot of stuff happening, man. And, and for me to wrap my brain around every single thing you've got going, um, I, I'm not sure I could do it in one, one show. Um, but is there anything that you would like to offer to my audience? Anything that you have that, that, you know, may benefit somebody that's watching right now? Uh, in terms of, well, okay, so, I mean, if you're into live streaming, we, I got all sorts of types of equipment and technology and knowledge that I can share with you. Um, I do intend to do some kind of a class to share what technologies could be used. Yeah. And then and then offer them whatever would fit into that time, that, that, that package. Yeah. Um, so, in uh, livestreamingmaster.com is where I have a lot of the equipment. And then access to myself, where you can ask questions in respect to um, what you need to do if you want to do some type of content or a radio show or a podcast and things of that nature. Everything from lights to cameras to, you know, if it's a church, if it's a school, if it's a university, uh, an event place, um, we have everything for everybody um, from, from bottom of the line to top of the line. Well, you, that, it, what's interesting is while we're sitting here talking about this, literally just now when you said church, I received a message from the, the girl at my church and, and we're talking about live streaming and how to make it better and all of that. So you and I are going to talk about that. So Shuffle. I'm helping, I'm helping with all of that. So, but, but dude, how can, first off, let me say, because we're at the end of the hour. Um, let me say thank you. I appreciate you coming on here and taking the time. I know you got a lot of gazillion things in the air that you're juggling. That's number one. Number two, I want to connect you with those those two friends of mine over in New York. Um, and number three, how can everybody follow you? Well, I go live uh, very often on Carlos Phoenix on Facebook. Uh, okay. Instagram, Carlos Phoenix. Everything's Carlos Phoenix. But if you want to follow the businesses... Uh, live streaming master is also on Facebook. Okay. Um, so you'll see specials and ads and stuff like that there. I don't drown my timeline too much with that. 
Uh, and then you have uh, beatflixmusic.com is uh, if you're a musician and you want to get your music out there, uh, we can have a conversation there. Um, and then latinentertainmentnetwork.com is for the Latinos who are creative, who maybe have product already, TV shows, podcasts, uh, you know, all sorts of content. Uh, we can talk about distribution and stuff like that as well and what their future could be like. Wow. That's awesome, dude. Well, Carlos, tell everybody your real name, <laughs> your full name, sure. your full name. So, so the full name, it's, uh, and then my, even my parents don't call me this, but it's uh, Juan Carlos Phoenix Mark Jimenez. There you go. Uh, but, but I normally, the, the, the basic names are Juan Carlos Jimenez and, um, and my mom calls me Juan Carlos, wow. but I just go by Carlos. Yeah. So uh, I can't even say it. So <laughs> let alone. Yeah, we, we, didn't, we didn't even get to the story as to why, but you know, yeah, another day. Well, hey, I appreciate you coming on and spending the time and sharing sharing some of your life story with everybody, and and you definitely got a lot of cool stuff happening, and and I love I love what you're doing. I know that you know I reached out to you about um, two days before that event in Thailand. Yeah with my client over in Thailand, <laughs> we just didn't have enough time to put it together, but I know you could have solved the issue f fairly quickly. So, well, well that, and I mean, there's still an opportunity to take cause I know you yeah. they recorded it. Yeah. Um, there's an opportunity to still be able to distribute that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time and don't, don't hang up on Skype, but thank you guys. Thank you to everybody that shared this out, that's been on here watching. Appreciate all of you. And we will see you guys tomorrow. Manana. <laughs> Is that right? Did I say that right? <laughs> Manana, exactly. All right, cool. Thank you guys. Have a great day and we'll see you tomorrow.